I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers in another great episode here for you today. I've got Courtney Spath on here today. She's the CEO at Growth Period. Courtney, welcome to the show today and why don't you take a minute to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what you do over there. Hi Michael, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. I really appreciate it. I'm the CEO of Growth Period. We are a business development and transaction advisory services firm, and we're located in the Washington, D.C. capital region, but have offices throughout the country and around the world. We're a business development firm that helps companies win work with governments and also with other commercial entities. And we do a lot of due diligence for mergers and acquisition uh, work. You know, we do the sell side, we do the buy side. Uh, we like to refer to ourselves in our firm as professional killers, not eaters. We help <laughs> you win things, but we don't want to run them. No, I, I, I love that. And that. That's so great. I was not expecting you to say that. That's awesome. It made me smile. So professional killers, I love it. So you know, we're on here today to talk about how to beat a losing streak. And you know, one of the things when I saw this title was I, I spoke at a veterans conference uh, a couple of years ago and this woman stood up and she said, I need help because I have lost 11 proposals in a row and I don't know what to do. And, and that immediately came to mind when you sent me this and, and I'm like, how many people get on a losing streak and don't know what to do? Don't know how to pick themselves up. Don't know what they're doing wrong. Can't figure it out. Maybe they're too close to the process, whatever it is. And so I love this topic, and I thought it would really appeal to a lot of our listeners today. If you're in any sort of slump, we're going to be talking about some strategies to help you get over that. So why don't I, I kind of kick things back over to you, and why don't you outline for us you know, what some of your thoughts are on beating a losing streak? Absolutely, Michael. It's my pleasure to do so. People who work in business development and on proposals oftentimes are some of the hardest working people in any company and oftentimes are unsung because it's always, what did you do for me today? Not that you won something yesterday. Uh, but despite their hard work, they might face a losing streak from time to time. Their losses can erode their confidence. It can adversely affect working relationships and even trigger job hopping. So I would say the first thing you have to do is get a hold of your morale. Right? Everyone faces losses at one time or another, and sometimes it is a streak of losses. And take a step back, make sure your people feel reassured that you're not looking to blame them, but you need to do some kind of after-action review to go through why you've been losing. Is there a consistent theme? 
Is it that you're too expensive? Is it that you're not doing well with your technical volume or your approach to the customer? Is it a customer intimacy issue? They just never heard of you, don't know you, don't feel comfortable trusting you. So I think first you have to get to the bottom of what's really going on and why. And that means being self-aware because you may be the problem. You may be demanding of your people that they charge a certain rate that the customers just won't you know, want to have as part of their solution. So, you know, if you find yourself rebounding from a string of losses, I think the first thing you have to do is is a little bit of self-awareness. You know, take a step back, take a deep breath, appreciate your people so they feel safe and comfortable to talk about what's really going on. And mm. you can bring in a third party. Oftentimes we go into companies in that situation and we evaluate, you know, let's say you had 11 in a row. We evaluate, we recently had a company that had 11 losses in a row, which is why I'm using this as an example. And we evaluated their process, the customer feedback, you know, the the debriefs they got. We read their proposals. We read their, you know, cost volumes and came up with, you know, a few really core things that were important that helped reinforce the management that it wasn't their people who was the problem. It was how they were approaching the bidding. And it was actually coming from the CEO. She's a great CEO, but she had an unrealistic view of the level of customer intimacy they have been achieving. And so I would say that's, you know, that's a really big thing is get a hold of morale and then figure out what's going on. And if you don't feel like you can yourself, hire someone like us to do it. And I would say also there's, there's five tips that I would give any company in that position. And if you want, I can, I can run through them now or or wait a bit. Yeah. Let's, let's hold on for just a second because I want to touch on something you said there. You know, I think, for a lot of companies, it is really hard to not want to blame the people filling out the proposal. You know, I, I think you hit on that. And to, to see that the CEO was the one actually causing some of the issues in this company you're talking about. I've worked with a company in the last couple of years where out of everyone on the team, the CEO was the most dangerous person to get in the proposal mix. If the CEO got in the proposal mix... Nine times out of ten, they lost. But if if that person stayed out, they were winning, you know, 60, 75 percent. And it was they would get in and and just do the wrong things. And I I think I've seen CEOs. I mean, obviously, I am one, but I've seen CEOs where, oh, wow, it's got to be my VP of sales or it's got to be the proposal team or it's got to be this person. So I love the tip there about the self-awareness and even looking at the morale because I, I think that's something where it is a sound business strategy that people think they may not have time for in business because the ship is sinking. And so that that's what I like so much about that tip because, again, I, I think we – it. It's funny with government contracting. It moves slower than anything I've ever seen in my life. And mm-hmm. as government contractors, this is also frustrating. We tend to move at the pace of our customers, which is excruciatingly slow, like so slow. The decisions that we make about our business. I, I've always, I came from the commercial space where you could literally say, hey, we're going to turn the company and go this direction and we could do it in a week where people will think about hiring a consultant and take six months. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why are you moving so slow? But they're, but they're doing that. So to, to think about, you know, Hey, where is morale on one hand? Hey, we don't have time for that. And on the other hand, well, we're not moving that fast anyway. So why don't we take 
a step back and actually do a checkup on our people. You know, our most valuable resource. You know, it, to me, it, it should be obvious it's the most valuable resource when you have, you know, 30, 40, 50% of your income going to pay it, but it doesn't always ring true for CEOs. They don't always get how valuable that resource is. So I, I just want to add my two cents on that thought because I, I thought, what a great tip out of the gate to, to check up on the morale. So why don't you jump into what those, those five tips are and let's break those down. A hundred percent. But before I get to the five tips, I wanted to go back to what you're saying, which is, look, you know, I'm not an expert in many, many things, but we are experts in my firm in growth and probably world experts. And people will say to me and to our colleagues, what separates a successful company that grows and continues to flourish from one that stagnates, especially in government contracting? And 100% of the time, not 99, 100% of the time it is always senior leadership. You either have a growth mentality, which is a mature process. You, you have the mentality that growth takes investment and patience and resourcing, or you don't. And if you don't, no matter what you do, you're always going to be running on the hamster wheel. Because growth is a science. It's an art form. It's, it's both, right? It's a process and an art. And we don't like luck because luck is not repeatable. Right. So if you don't have the right mindset as senior management to grow and you don't enable the environment to support that, you can do all these things and you can follow some of these tips and still fail. Hmm. Yeah, I. it's almost like, I want to hijack this podcast and just talk about that because that is that is such an important topic. And and I'm just going to ask the question because I know there are listeners out there listening to this podcast saying, but what if I'm listening and I'm not senior leadership and I know senior leadership is the problem? How do you confront that? So I think that in government contracting, which is the industry I think that we're, we're focusing on today, correct? Yes, I think in government contracting, you do have a lot of mediocrity because after 911 and senior leadership, uh, everybody who did anything inside the Washington, D.C. region also did Homeland Security. <laughs> so it's yeah. like Bob's Plumbing and Homeland Security Services because it was, you know, an opportunistic environment and entrepreneurs took advantage of that. And it's been hard to believe, but it's been almost, you know, 20 years since then. And what's happened is a lot of social Darwinism, you know, survival of the fittest. Uh, there's been an enormous amount of acquisitive activity in, in national security and defense. And then there's a lot of smaller set aside businesses and some of them have survived and some haven't. And the ones that have survived sometimes don't have the best leadership. They really are a lifestyle business mm. and they're not self-aware of it. And so they create a culture that is complex because they say they want to grow and they have no problem, as you mentioned earlier, Michael, so astutely, they want to blame their people. But the reality is they probably should just recognize that they're in a lifestyle business and run it like that and not be embarrassed mm. by it. There's nothing wrong with the lifestyle business. Right. Um, and I think that if you're in a circumstance where you are motivated and you're working for a lifestyle business that's pretending to be a growth business, that you have to figure out what about that is bothering you. What about that is frustrating your path forward? And then I would honestly say I would leave. Don't leave precipitously, but, you know, work the network and talk to people in industry and figure out who has the culture that works for you. 
Right. And, I, you know, I think a lot of people want to follow the paycheck. And look, I have three children. It's expensive, right? right? The Beltway is not cheap. But who you work for, your boss is as important, if not more so, than the amount of money you make, especially in government contracting. Right. And so you can also be in a very big company that has terrible leadership. You have to look for a growth culture. And it's not really ephemeral. You actually can break it down. But... It's not prevalent the way it is right now, and you know some of the tech sectors are artificial intelligence because it, it's just a more staid industry, as you pointed out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a wild industry, and you know what a, a great thought there on you know how important it is the people you work for. I remember when I was back in the day uh, do, doing government contracting and traveling every single week. I was talking to you just before the podcast. I had an office in St. Louis, but I lived in. Or I'm sorry, I had an office in D.C., but I lived in St. Louis. And so, you know, how do you do that? Well, you get up Monday morning, you get on a plane, you fly, and then Thursday or Friday you come home. And I was traveling 328 days out of the year was the number. And I remember for me what made the decision for me to leave that company was uh, I'd been doing that for about a year and a half. And I told the CEO... Uh, I was like just under him. I was the COO at the time. I told him my wife was pregnant. And he and his comment to me was, well, clearly we don't have you on the road enough. And I just thought. Seriously? Oh. Yeah, I was. that was the comment. And I thought, are you kidding me? 328 days of the year and that's not enough for you. Look, I can relate. When I was pregnant and I gave birth, I had a client demand that I come right back. I'd been out three days. And we explained that I had just given birth. And he said, oh, I didn't realize that she was pregnant. I thought she'd just gotten fat. Oh, wow. So I hear you. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's so wild. And so some people that just can't wrap their head around what's going on. And I, I know when we're going to get back to the, the losing streak piece here, but I think to have somebody on here that, that's talking the same language as me on this is, a, is, a, is rare in this specific area about growth. And to me, growth is just... If you're not growing, you're dying, right? So you, you need That's some true. sort of growth. And to me, there are so many of these companies that are lifestyle businesses that want to be growth oriented. They want to grow up and sell the company. They want to be multimillionaires and, uh, you know, and, and go through that merger and acquisition phase or whatever it is. And yet they're not set up for that. They're, they don't have the mindset. They don't understand it. Uh, they just they don't they don't get how to grow a company. I was just talking to somebody the other day, a friend of mine, and I said, "Look, your need for control trumps everything else in your business because the speed of your company is hindered by your need for control. You want to be involved in every decision. You want to take weeks to do things. Your need for control is stopping your growth." And, and they're like, well, I don't want it to. I'm like, yeah, you don't even want it to. That's how much control you want. <laughs> You're like, I don't want it. I, I want my control, but I don't want it to slow me down. And it's like, you can't have both. You can't have massive control and expect zero mistakes and expect to grow, especially grow quickly. You know, so the, and, um, the analogy we use with people is when you start a company, it's a lot like, again, going back to the birth analogy, having a child. If you're at all well-educated, if you're intelligentsy at all, when you have a child, uh, which most people do uh, in, in mid-career, you look at that child and you don't say, wow, I really hope that that kid grows up to get his GED. 
right? You yeah. hope it goes to college and it might be Harvard or it might be MIT or it might be Indiana or, you know, no one really looks at their kid and says, when they're a baby and says, I'll be so excited if, you know, he or she ends up at, you know, some university no one's ever heard of. Right. But as that child grows and matures and goes through the stages from infancy to toddler to, you know, whatever, to young person to teenager, the personality develops. And what may change is maybe Harvard isn't the right place for that child. Maybe it is FIT or maybe it is West Point and not Indiana. And yet the goal has stayed the same, which is higher education. When you start a company, you always should have a goal. And as you mature, the goals can change, but you need to have a goal for growth. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's start a company so that I can have lifestyle I want, or start a company so I can sell it, or start a company so that I can pass it down to future generations, which we don't really recommend very frequently, or, uh, you know, there's, there's various structures. You need to have that because you need to work backwards from that growth. If you're going to sell your company and your government contractor, you get bought based on a multiple of your EBITDA, not your revenue. So you need to care about what you're bidding from an EBITDA perspective. If you are trying to have a lifestyle company, you can bid a lot more work that is low in EBITDA, but may create you know, a, a different form of profit for you and allow you to take more cash out to buy your beach house or whatever you're doing. And so I think what happens is people get lost in this control cycle and they forget that they ha they should have a goal. Does that make sense, Michael? Oh, that, that makes perfect sense. And, you know, I, there's a lot of people that when I talk to them, they're like, well, I just want to sell it. That's a goal. Okay, well, you could sell it for a dollar. Does that? Well, that's not what I meant. Well, what did you mean? You know, you, you have to communicate something to yourself and your team. I, I once got, it was actually the same company I was just talking about a few minutes ago, got in a fight in a boardroom with the CFO because I, I, he was saying, we need more money. And I said, how much more? He's like, why does it matter? Just make as much as you can get. I'm like, you don't understand. How much more do you need to pay the bills at the moment? You know, I can't just go tell my guys, get as much as you get. And then they come up short and you're mad. Like, what, what do we need to get? And the, and the guy couldn't wrap it around his head to give me a number. Like, we, we left without a number. And uh, I, we, we did well. We grew the company, and it was a lot of fun. It's a whole other story. But it's like some people in upper management really don't belong there when they can't wrap their heads around, you know, the clarity around a goal and how much power comes with the clarity of understanding what you're trying to achieve and how you communicate that to the team. Because, again, if I just tell my salespeople, I need more out of you this quarter, and they did 5% more, I could be disappointed if what I wanted was 20% more. I need to tell them that. I need to communicate that. And then I need to enable them to do that. And, and I just I see that in, in a lot of CEOs. They're not equipped with that side. I was talking with Josh the other day, and I said, you know, one of the challenges I see right now in the government market is so many of our CEOs, and if you're listening to this and you're CEO, owner, partner, whatever it is, don't take this the wrong way. I think we've gotten lazy. We've gone through this boom in government contracting where it was so easy. You just you go get your certifications, you start searching for requirements, you find some RFPs, you go and bid, you win or lose, and you and you okay, let's just do more RFPs, and then you get to a point where you've outgrown yourself and you don't know how to go any further than that. And they don't bring in the consultants and they're frustrated because they're not growing internally. 
you know, mentally, and they can't figure out why they're not taking the company to the next level. And it's, it's just so hard for them that they're like, well, well, let's just keep churning out RFPs and all those kind of things. Let's just forget all of the foundational, fundamental, whatever you want to call it, business practices. That stuff doesn't matter. You know, the, the fundamentals of business doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is filling out RFPs and win or loss and a little bit of customer service. And that's just not the case. But I, I think as in the government space, we've just gotten a little lazy about it. And that's where I'd like to almost see this revolution of some of these fundamentals that we're talking about today. I think it's a fundamental where you're checking in on your people. You're looking at the morale. You know, we're, we're talking here. Uh, about some of the basics here but and we'll, we'll get back to this you know how to beat this losing streak i think trying to figure out why you're not winning everything is a fundamental instead of just saying well our win streak or our our win ratio is only five percent so that just means we're gonna have to churn out a lot more you know I, I i see people do that well you know i agree with all of what you said and i do actually think we're addressing just at a maybe slightly more sophisticated way how to rebound from a string of losses and it's look at your culture, right? And look yeah. at your people and yeah. look at yourself. I think that government contracting has a lot of talented people, but it's not attracting as many talented young people as some of the mm-hmm. other growth industries. Mm-hmm. I think that it attracts people who are mission oriented or come out of the military or have a sense of public service. And those people are phenomenal and we should yep. be grateful that we have them. But I think a lot of innovation-oriented talent just doesn't end up in this industry anymore. It yeah. used to be that aerospace defense was where you went because that's where things like stealth technology got funded and built or, you know, the Internet. And it's not like that anymore. Private sector outpaces the government for innovation. Mm. And so I think that you also have a dearth of talent and it feeds into your culture. You have sort of a mediocre culture and mediocre leadership and mediocre talent a lot of the times. And it's like a self-licking ice cream cone. You can't yeah. get out of it unless you take a step back and say, what do I do to shake this up? And what's the calculated risk? We run into people who will spend more money on program managers than they will on growth. And then they're frustrated they haven't grown. Right. Well, you're program managing you know, it to death and you're doing great with that, but you're not growing because no one else is paying attention to growth. And as you said earlier, Michael, uh, you know, if you don't grow, you die. It might be a slow death, but if yeah. you don't grow, you die. Yeah, it's a really slow, painful death. And, you know, I, I agree with what you said earlier that there's nothing wrong with a lifestyle business, but you have to figure out what you are early on. And if you're a lifestyle business, be okay with that. Make sure you're recruiting the team around you with that knowledge of, hey, this is what we are. Because I think I think when you recruit people who are excited about your company's products or services and they're excited about working with you. And then under the radar, they slowly figure out for themselves that it's a lifestyle business. They're frustrated at the potential for themselves. You know, like, hey, there's, I'm only going to make so much money here. Oh, there's only going to be so much opportunity here. And that's not what they signed up for. And I think that's why some of them leave. And there, there's some that are like, well, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. I'm going to make, you know, 40 grand a year, whatever. And I'm happy with that. You know, and, the, and that's cool. That's great for the lifestyle business. But, you know, when when we talk about, and I'm going to bring us back here into, into this bound, rebounding here from a loss. When we talk about that, I think a lot of people, if they would just sit down and, like you said, look at their culture, 
look at what's going on with their people, do a fair assessment, bring in a third party to take a look. I, I think getting that overall big picture of who they really are is a great first step before they then figure out, well, who do we want to be when we grow up? Or are we already grown up? Are we already grown up? And this is who we're going to be for the next 30 years or till we, you know, die and shut the doors or whatever it is. You know, it would just it would make things a lot easier for folks. So unless you have something to tack on to that, I'd like to hear your five tips. Oh, sure. No, absolutely. I think that if you find yourself rebounding from a string of losses, the five tips I would say is first change your mindset, what we've been talking about. You know, examine your culture, look at your morale, we invigorate your enthusiasm and invest in your people. It might be as simple as just taking them out of the office to have lunch or being honest with them about how you value them and how really you're taking responsibility for the direction. And can we work together as a team to turn it around, not focusing on blame? I'd say the second is apply the lessons learned. You know, analyze what you're doing right to start, not just what you're doing wrong. And then talk about how it can be improved and made better. Don't talk about it in a pejorative way, right? And use the lessons to do better. I mean, you don't appreciate it when somebody uses your mistakes to berate you. So don't berate your people. Improve your processes. Implement the technology. Improve your communications. The third I would say is eliminate information gaps. You know, it's hard to write a winning proposal without the right facts. So look at how you're gathering, analyzing, and communicating information so that your team is in a position to win. Be honest with yourself. If you don't know the customer, guessing what they care about is not the right step forward. If it matters enough to you to put the money into the proposal, then go find somebody, a consultant or a subject matter expert who knows the customer and pay them what they need to be paid so you don't throw all that money out the window. Say the fourth tip is invest in yourself. You know, if you are the problem, be honest with yourself. If you aren't self-aware and your team is basically saying you are the problem and you have that, you know, sort of, oh my goodness moment where you realize you are the problem, don't berate yourself, don't blame yourself, do something about it. Go get a mentor, bring in a chairman, Hire a different kind of person and just be honest. Nobody got where they were going without learning along the way to say, I need help. And I would say the fifth one is fail fast, right? I mean, that means cut your losses quickly when you realize something isn't going well and go back to the drawing board and rethink how you're approaching it. So if you have a color team review and everyone comes in and marks up your entire proposal and it's bleeding red, you probably have a problem, you know, unless you're really grammatically... You're missing the mark. Look at that not as criticism, but as a chance to reinvent your solution. Yeah. And if you can't reinvent your solution to make that green or blue, maybe you shouldn't continue. It's sort of like people who walk down the aisle and get married and tell people later, I knew, I knew in my gut I shouldn't marry that person. And they get divorced. If you know in your gut that the proposal you're writing isn't meeting the requirements or isn't really answering the mail... Just because you're down that aisle doesn't mean you have to submit it. Right. Right. Those no, that, are my five. That's, per- that's perfect. You know, and it's so good to, to hear, you know, you, you backing up some of the things we say on the podcast all the time. And I always tell people, 
I don't think many of our podcast guests even know each other. And to hear kind of the consistent theme of what I call winners, like you're a winner, you're out there just crushing it in your business, doing great things, helping clients, your clients are becoming winners, you know, because of that. And to hear other winners out there say these things, one, it helps me know I'm not crazy, right? That's always good to know you're not crazy. Um, it just backs up what everybody is saying, these consistent beliefs, these game changers, if you will, you know, pardon the pun, these consistent beliefs that if you do some of these things like being self-aware and you know, uh, you know, actually caring about your team, you know, bringing in consultants when you can't figure out what's going on, actually reviewing, you know, your proposals. You know, you mentioned early on in the podcast about getting the debrief. We always talk to people about the debrief because there's so much value in there. I, I had a client the other day that uh, he said, well, the lady told me that I didn't need to uh, or she wasn't required to give me a debrief. Like, cause you asked wrong. Number one, we've been telling you how to ask for two years. So go ask this way. And sure enough, when he said, hey, I'm fine with an informal debrief that doesn't require paperwork. She sent him back like two paragraphs of exactly what he did wrong and why he didn't get chosen. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like gold. This is the best thing they could have ever done for you. Because up until now, you've just been blindly winning. Now you know exactly what's wrong and you can change that forever. You know, it's so powerful and a lot of people just don't get the debrief. Oh, or they get turned down and they're like, oh, well, they said no, I'm going to move on. Just because they said no doesn't mean you can't ask again and ask very informal. You know, so I just think being able to find out what's going on with your customers, find out what's going on in your company, find out what's going on with yourself. You know, it's just such important factors for growth. You know, I agree. It's so, so important. So thanks for being on here today. I don't know if you have any final thoughts, but it's it's all yours for any final thoughts you have for listeners. No, thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. And I think I just like to reinforce the fact that growth is a science. It has to be a repeatable process. You can't just wig it all the time. And if you don't feel confident in your ability to master that science, then hire a teacher like we are, right? Hire help and get the help and get the education and work together to achieve success. It's worth the investment. And thank you again for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, th thank you. And, you know, I, I agree. You know, there's so many people that are willing to drop, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. We've heard the numbers all over the mark on a college education that guarantees you nothing. But yet not spend a few thousand dollars on consultants or mentors who can actually show you where your weak spots are in days, if not hours. You know, it's like, they're, they're, it's just, a, it's a twisted mentality. You know, we'd, we'd never, well, not all of us, we, most of us wouldn't try to self-diagnose ourselves and prescribe medication or even get surgery on ourselves. We go to the doctor. Your business is that important. And so I, I can't see enough about bringing in, whether it's Courtney, us, both of us together, some other consultants, whatever it is, experts in the, the legal area, the banking area, the whatever you need. I can't say enough about bringing the experts you need into your business to take a look at what should be 
your most valuable asset in your life if you're the owner or partner or whatever it is and this is the most valuable thing you own. It's worth more than your home. It's worth more than anything because that's the future for your family a lot of times. So get the right experts in there to actually make sure this thing is on the right track. And if it's not, what's wrong? It's a, it's a big, big lesson that you need to take away from today's. And I think uh, a lot of great comments today on bouncing back from the losing streak. I think not only that, but like you said, all the fundamentals we were talking about that is really, really good stuff. So thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on here today, Courtney. And I know we're going to have you back on. Maybe we can dig into some other topics next time. I would enjoy that. And thank you again. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Before we take off today, I want to ask everyone a simple question. Are you feeling stuck in your government business? Do you feel like you should be winning a lot more contracts, but just can't figure out how to bust through to the next level? Do you want to accelerate your results and hit your goals faster? Does that describe you at all? If so, I have a very special offer for all of our listeners today. Visit us at rsmfederal.com slash breakthrough coaching, where you can schedule your very own business breakthrough session with me. You're going to walk away from the session with three things, a copy of the award-winning government sales manual, at least three strategies to supercharge your business, and some specific answers to your biggest challenges that are out there. Now, normally these sessions run about $495, but for a limited time for our podcast listeners only, you can schedule this session at no cost to you. So that's zero cost to schedule a session with me. Simply visit rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. And you'll be able to fill out an application. So scroll all the way to the bottom of that page, fill out an application that'll come directly to me. Then I'll reach out to you. We'll get our our session scheduled and we'll walk through some of the challenges that you're having, whether it's, you know, how to grow the business, your goal setting, um, specific challenges you're having in government. This doesn't have to be just about specific to growing any business, but you're going to walk away from the session, not only understanding how to approach the government from a better perspective, but you're going to walk away with a lot of confidence on what you need to do, what next steps you need to take to supercharge your government business so you can take the next several months, the next several years to a whole new level. So again, visit us at rsmfederal.com forward slash breakthrough coaching. You can uh, get an overview of what Breakthrough Coaching is all about. Scroll all the way to the bottom, fill out the application that'll come to me, and then I'll schedule your session for you. And last but not least, let me take a moment here. I want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. We really appreciate your support. Remember, you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.